This Week at Hope Point. When the righteous king of the universe is living within you, then he wants to work his way outside of you and affect the things you say and do so that you are living a righteous life as he is righteous. Everything the Christian thinks about is this. If I say this, is that righteous? Was that a righteous word? If I go there, was that a righteous decision? Because I got a righteous king living in me, so I'm always thinking about his righteousness. Am I promoting that righteousness to the world? That's everything for the believer. Is this righteous? Because I got a righteous king. We're so glad to have you join us for today's message. We pray that it would challenge and encourage you to applaud God, follow Christ, and live on mission. Let's listen to what Richard has to say to us from God's holy word. So this past week when Lisa was in Augusta, spending great time with her father and significant time with him in the hospital, I was had a lot of time by myself here and I decided one night to do something I don't normally do. I went to see a movie by myself. And uh, Lisa said, that's weird, but I love you. And she said, why didn't you wait for me? I said, because it's the story of a criminal on death row who's demonically possessed. I didn't think that would be the thriller you were waiting for, the comedy you were waiting for. It's called Nefarious. Depends on how you're wired, I would recommend you see it. It's made by a Christian. It's brilliant in its its artistry and its theology about the power of the demonic world to persuade people to do things that are not righteous. It helps increase your reverence for what we called last week spiritual warfare. The continual effort of evil, intelligent, demonic beings to so damage a Christian's hope that he abandons the call to love and, and serve Christ. So, There's a lot of the world that's not going to come here today to hear me teach on Ephesians 6, spiritual warfare, but they should see that movie and gain a new appreciation of don't mess around with evil and have a plan, have a plan to resist evil because it's, it's powerful. And that plan is to guard our minds, our bodies, our souls like a soldier would be equipped for war, is what Paul said in Romans or Ephesians 6. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The word scheme at the end of verse 11 comes from the the Greek word schematic or drawing or blueprint that intelligent evil beings actually design your demise. They design things that will uniquely frustrate you to knock you out out of the race. They design things where temptations will come at you and seek to persuade you like Satan did in the garden that he cared for their souls more than God did. And Adam and Eve believed it. They did not believe that God was the ultimate good, but evil was, and they gave themselves to evil. Last week I said, we didn't want to talk about spiritual warfare from the foundation of fear. We wanted to talk about it with a fearlessness. It's not appropriate that believers would be afraid of that which God can conquer, has conquered. 
So I want to tell you again, the foundation of that is like two bookends. The first bookend is the fact that we are saved and sealed until we get to heaven. Ephesians 1, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance into the redemption of those who are God's possession. So we made very clear last week, all we did was agree with scripture that no one can snatch us from the hand of Christ and no one can undo the seal of the Holy Spirit. You believe, you give your life to Christ, confessing that he's the son of God who shed his blood for your sin. The Holy Spirit seals you. And hallelujah, when we were studying Revelation uh, a few months ago, we saw a number of occasions where it says those who were sealed made it through tribulation and made it to God's eternal city because they were sealed by the Spirit. So that's book in number one. So is that we're sealed by God's spirit, kept by God's spirit. Book in number two is again why you probably would prefer sometime in the next 100 or 200 years that I finish Revelation because we know that in chapter 17 through 20, we see a, an unbelievably graphic description of, of the destruction of demonic powers, demonically inspired institutions, the beast, the false prophet, and Satan himself being cast into the lake of fire in, in those three chapters. And they're good for our faith. So when we're talking about resisting evil, we always want to make sure we do it within these, these bookends that give us confidence. We're sealed by the Spirit of God. He's, he's proposed to us and given us an engagement ring and we will make it to the wedding all because of his faithfulness and Secondly, the other bookend, Satan will be defeated. If that second bookend doesn't thrill you, you don't long for that, you don't think about that, you are a distracted Christian. Maybe a worldly Christian or maybe not a Christian at all. This is the hope of believers that one day God will speak the last word on earth and bring evil to an end. But we know that even though we're kept Secured, sealed, nobody can snatch us from the hand of Christ. Easily and very easily, Satan can thwart our mission, can cause people who have believed the gospel to so lose hope by trial or some pressure, adversity, temptation, and to say, I quit. It's no use. And all of the blueprint or the schemata, the designs that God had for that believer come to naught, that's very possible that a believer can simply waste, waste their life. If I were to describe today the work of the evil one in this world, I would say it like this. Satan's goal is to protest every word that God says and to devalue everything that God says is valuable. He has but one goal, and that is to destroy God and his kingdom and replace it with his own. That's what he's after. The Bible describes Satan as a roaring lion, uh, a well-armed man, uh, a liar, a murderer, and a thief. 
And so you need to know these things, not to fear him, but to know his tactics. And his tactics is, I would say this, if I could describe the last three years in the world, primarily the West, but probably beyond that if I traveled more, I'd say if there's one thing that I would say, I know that evil has attempted and has accomplished very greatly at doing this is to produce chaos. I I think that's, if there's one word that we could say, there's something I'm feeling that I've never felt in my life, it is chaos. And this chaos comes from from Satan, he incites chaos. He's like a kamikaze pilot in World War II. He knows he's going down. The scripture says he is, but on the way to destruction, he is seeking to bring to death as many people as he can when he dies. Chaos is what he's producing. And there's just a new type of chaos over the past three years in our world. It might be that we're more aware of it because, you know, we watch more news or we, we're on social media more and therefore we're more aware of darkness. But I think there's just an increased chaos. There's increased chaos in culture. There's increased chaos on the streets. There's increased chaos in the government. There's increased chaos in marriages. There's increased chaos at work. There's increased chaos in finances. There's so much increase of chaos in the schools where our children attend. Just the threat of being disbarred from their community of peers if they don't conform. It's just they walk into schools and for their little souls it feels chaotic. This is all new level of chaos by the evil one. So when you hear all of this, you can get overwhelmed and say, Man, this does sound scary. What is the plan? How in the world will we work through this? And Paul answers that, and I'll read a portion of what I did last week. This is the remedy in a world of chaos. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of of God. So Paul starts in verse 10 with be strong in the Lord which again is difficult for those of us who feel weak. You give me another command I can't do. But he didn't just say be strong. He said be strong in the Lord. You remember the first song that we ever learned as kids. You know, children are weak, but he's strong. And that's the Bible. I think what happens with us and one of the tactics of the enemy is that we've got in our head for some reason that we're supposed to feel strong. Like that's right, that's normal, that's Christian. I feel strong. The Bible says the, the strength that, you, that you're looking for is only to, be, only to be strong in the Lord, not a natural strength at all. 
Your strength comes from knowing that even though you may be the weakest person in the universe, you are loved by the strongest person in the universe. All of your guilt is forgiven by the most holy judge in the universe. All of your pain is felt by the most sympathetic friend in the universe. And all of your future is guided by the strongest hand in the universe. So the Bible says you be strong in him. On your worst day, when you hear intelligent evil voices telling you that you are weak and you are dumb, you don't have the capacity for this, you just say, I resist that. I reject that because I am loved by the God of all the galaxies and stars and rivers and oceans. He's my father. You just rest on those days where you feel so weak. You just rest in Christ. Just rest in his life. Just rest in his love of sinners and, and cripples and just rest in his, that he got it right. Everything that God has ever required of you to get into heaven, Jesus lived it out for you and upon your faith in him, he gives you all that he did for you in his life. Rest in that and love it. That's always good news. And then rest in his death for your sins. Everything that Satan will bring up about your past, it's been forgiven. Rest in his resurrection. That the one thing that stops us and causes us most fear in life is losing our ability to control things like living. He, rest in the fact that he overcame that. And you just hold on to him and he'll take you through that door. Rest in his Holy Spirit dwelling in your body. You're not alone. You don't go through this alone. The one who loves you most is living inside your arms and your legs and your lungs and your heart. So be strong in the Lord. But only in the Lord is that strength. Immerse yourself in a swim in him. But don't be looking for strength outside of him. Secondly, Put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your, your ground. I like that phrase, the day of evil, because it lets me know there are some days that are going to be far worse than others. There is a day of evil. Like, hallelujah, someday we have great days. And there's not really any huge harassment and calamity and fear you just you'd have, you have a good day and what are you supposed to do on the good days? You come to church, you read the Bible, you get to know friends and you get ready for a bad day because you're going to need all that on the bad day. Lisa has a friend when they were in the mom stages of life together, they used to talk about how hard parenting was and they said that parenting, this, this woman that talked to Lisa she used to describe it like this, parenting is like an amusement park. You're either on the roller coaster or you're standing in line for the roller coaster. But it's going to be hard soon with your child. There's going to have a trial. Now, this way it is in the Christian life. You're either standing in line for the day of evil or you're in it now. So on the good days, be prepared for. I think about our high school seniors that are going to go walk across this stage in just a few uh, weeks. And I think about, you know, they, they think life's hard now. And, and listen, I have such respect for 
the horrors, I guess would be accurate, of some, of some high school tests and temptations, trials. Really, really respect that. Nothing, nothing like I had. But oh my goodness, when they step foot on college campus, that is when the day of evil is coming and they don't even know it. I mean, how many kids out of churches, that day of evil comes on the first day when they're their freshman year at campus and they never look back and nor come back to Christ. The day of evil swallowed them up during their college, during their college years. So put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes, you can, you can stand. You gotta remember when you're reading this whole passage, it's not like Paul it's not like when I'm in my office, I'm sitting there and I'm writing and I'm like thinking, how can I illustrate this thing? Oh, okay, I'll go to Google and I'll find a story about whatever. It's not like Paul was sitting there and writing Ephesians 6 and says, hmm, how can I illustrate the Christian life? Mm, I think I'll Google Christian life. No, he just looks to his right and he sees this massive, muscular, fearless, well-clothed Roman soldier. And he's looking from head to toe. This guy is decked out and ready for war. And Paul said, that is the Christian life. Because this guy got up in the morning and he thought, I might go to war today. I'm going to be ready. And he got dressed for that. from head to toe. If you're not living your life in such a way that you realize the battles come to all different parts of your life, all different seasons of your life, if you're not making a plan now, I'm gonna dress myself in Jesus from my head to my toe. Nope, instead I'm gonna keep some areas to my life. You're just doomed. All of it's gotta be covered by Jesus. No compromises. No compromises. The whole armor. And you know, it really starts with taking responsibility. There are some things that God cannot do for you. And here he makes it clear, this command is to you. You put on the armor. You know, some of you wonder how week after week I stand on the stage and I'm so adorably dressed. Say, how does he... How does he get that right? Every week, it's phenomenal. How does he make those decisions? Here's how it happens. I'm at my computer this morning, probably started around 2.30 a.m., and I'm just making some last-minute touches, and I've got a sweatshirt on and some gym pants and some sandals. And so about 8 o'clock, I walk back to our spare bedroom and it's all laid out. It's a miracle. Every Sunday, Lisa lays it out. And then I have to make a decision. It's a huge decision. Am I going to school, to church day in my sweats? Or am I going to wear this outfit? So I have to put it on. So there's a huge responsibility in this whole thing. And let me make this very clear. It is not fair to blame everything in life on Satan. Some of it is just on you. 
and on me. I love how this author, Rosemarie Miller, says it. The first real enemy in your life is your own unsubmitted self-life. I read that this week, scorched me. That's your first problem is your own. To struggle against your own agendas and passions is at the heart of spiritual warfare. The second enemy is Satan. So sometimes it's just us. We don't want to get dressed. I mean, almost like we're planning to go sin. I talked to a guy in the first service who said, Pastor, before I got saved, I used to come to this church and I planned my drug deals on Sunday afternoon while I was in church. I planned not to get dressed. Personal responsibility. How much responsibility? So much so that when you think you can't do anything else, God says, actually, you can. I love how he ends this. Sort of always been mystical statement to me, but he says, after you've done everything, you still got to stand. Now, that's just like... He already said that you may be able to stand and then he said, after you've done everything, because normally when I get to the end of, I've done everything I can, I can't do this, God says, yes, you can. I'm gonna give you something you can do to stand. Because my flesh is saying, no, I can't. And that's one of the ways that the, Satan attacks us is we say, I can't do any, there's nothing else. I have no other options. I can't make a sandwich. I can't go to the mailbox just have at me, I'm done. And God says, no, I'm on always gonna get, there's gonna be one more thing you can do. And it might be small, it probably is small, it could be large, but for in my life I have found out, just like open that book, turn on that computer, just something. And you're gonna be able to stand. I love that. One more thing, after you've done everything, there's one more thing. <laughs> love that. I need that so much. Ephesians 6, now we start to look at the battle, what we wear. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. When a Roman soldier was decked out in his full gear, about the most important thing he had was this big giant belt that pulled all of his clothing and his weapons together so he could run fast in the battle. Without that, he's just flopping everywhere. All his clothes and all his, his, his breastplate, his sword, that, that belt pulls everything together. So Paul said, there's one thing that pulls all of this together. And without this one thing, nothing I say afterwards matters if this isn't happening. And this, it's a belt that he calls the belt of, of truth. So then that brings out all the debaters and commentators that say, what's he talking about? Objective truth we believe in or subjective truth of us living a truthful life? Which one is it? And the answer is yes. <laughs> it begins with objective truth. Like the thing that pulls, pulls it all together is, I know what is true. God has given us a book and he's spoken to us in his word. I know who the creator is. I know that he's moral. I know that he's holy. 
I know how to connect with him only through Jesus Christ who absorbed my unholiness into his body and died for me and rose from the grave. I know that Christ is the way. I know that if there's gonna be an answer for me in my huge need right now, that answer is ultimately coming from God. I know these things. Objective truth. There's a book without error telling me about about God. Why is it so important to have this? Because if there's not something objectively true that's guiding you and that you're fighting for, you just won't fight. If you don't know that there's reward on the other side of the battle, if you don't believe that God is truly good in the midst of this pain and is going to reward you with something that was not possible apart from the pain, if you don't believe that, you won't fight. You got to believe in something that's true and unchanging. And God has revealed all that we need to know about him that's true and, and unchanging. So he's talking about truth, but he also could be talking about truthfulness. And that is, that's the subjective side of this. Are you living a truthful life regarding what you know is true? Or is there a discrepancy? Yeah, I know that is true. And I'm, you look like to me that you're here to hear truth and sing truth, but that may not be true. You may be, there may be a difference between your love of truth and that what you do outside of this is not truthful. You're not, not being truthful by your appearance. You may be already planning something, like you already know a a pornographic website that you might go to this week, you already know it. Or at work, you're gonna lie, you're gonna steal. You already know that, planned it. And nobody around you knows this because you're comfortable with people thinking you're living a truthful life. My prayer partner, of 35 years, texted me this week. In fact, I was about on row three yesterday morning praying here. Got here really early and uh, just really enjoyed my time with God. And right in the middle, of, around 7, 7.15, I get this text from him and said, I got a report from this. We both use this software called Covenant Eyes. It takes a picture of my computer screen, what I'm looking at on my computer every minute. If it doesn't like what it sees, it's got these algorithms that figure that out, it sends him a message. So it sent him a message either yesterday morning or Friday night. And, and so he called me and he said, brother, that Covenant Eyes said there was something on your computer that, that the software didn't believe was, was right. So I, I knew that was incorrect and by God's grace with his help through the years, I, you know, I knew my eyes had looked at good things and virtuous things and not unholy things. So I told him that. I said, I'll call the company and find out, but I want you to know. And I love what he, his reply was, Richard, you are my friend and I believe you as a man of honesty. I just love that because truthfulness is the glue of our relationship that has kept me from going to hell 
because I will not lie to him. The Bible says liars go to hell. I, I fail as much as anybody here in life, and, but I will not live a lie. I'm not going to walk untruthfully. So it's dangerous to do that. Truthfulness is, is everything. I had a friend uh, I was talking with recently. His company was going to be purchased by a, a larger company. And my friend's in accounting. We'll just call him Fred. And so Fred's responsible for finance and all that. And so in addition to you know, doing the books and all the things that those people do, he had to get the company ready to be sold to new people. That's nine months. Nine months just to get all the, everything ready for the deal. Well, when the deal was about ready to be made, um, he met his new boss. And his new boss came to him and said, I just want to be so honest with you that you have been so valuable to us in this process and we value what you did for your other company and you will be highly valued in this company and then slid the contract over to him of his job description and his salary and it was a 16% pay cut. And so he looked across the table and slid it back and said, the next time you and I talk, I would not begin the conversation by you telling me that you value me and yet you are telling me, actually you value me 84% of what my present company values me. And I looked at my friend again, we'll call him Fred, I said, you said that? He said, yes, it helps when you're 64. <laughs> but he was trying to tell this guy, you just said you valued me and you saw what I did for nine months and now the drop. And so I think in here we can tell God, I, Lord, you are the supreme, you, I value, you are the highest value in life, the, the treasure, the greatest treasure. And yet we leave here, and if we leave here saying, I'm just only gonna give God 84% or 64% or 44% of my life, God's saying, that's not truthful. You just said, I'm your treasure. And now you're not valuing me with the decisions that you are, are making. The freedom in life is, is tr truth. Jesus said the truth will set you free. It's amazing when you think about that, um, that man and that, uh, that prison cell, I mean the guard, he looked like he was so free to come and go, and he was. And Paul was all shackled and to the wall and to, whatever, to the floor. Looked like Paul was. And yet the freest man in that cell was the Apostle Paul. That Roman soldier without the gospel was walking out into an eternity where he would face God and hell. No peace. Didn't have the power to love bound by his lust. And there's the Apostle Paul all chained up and free going to heaven, writing New Testament books, not pouting, full of hope, a lot freer than that Roman guard who lived in, in fear. You want to be free today? 
love the truth of Jesus and give your heart fully to that truth of Jesus. The truth will set you free. Last thing that we'll look at today, you couldn't make it all the way through, um, all of the warfare. Sermons sometimes have a mind of their own. I really thought we were last week, but this is it. Last part of the armor. Stand firm then with the breastplate of righteousness in place. So when a Roman soldier went to war, he could handle some pretty big hits. He could handle an arrow to his um, shoulder. He could even handle an arrow in the thigh. He couldn't handle an arrow through his heart. So the breastplate for a Roman soldier was huge. Protect that heart. That's why the book of Proverbs, all of us love this verse. Chapter 4, verse 23, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Whatever your heart truly loves will affect all the decisions of your life. If your heart loves the wrong thing, then you will devote your life to the wrong things. There's nothing more important than to say in my heart, do I love the righteous king of the universe, Jesus? That's what controls, brings control into your life. A righteous a relationship with a righteous king. Let's go back to that. Stand firm then with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Again, what is Paul talking about here? What is righteousness? I, th I think, again, it's, it's the best of both worlds. I think he's probably talking about two things. I think, first of all, he's talking about, are you righteous? Have you invited Jesus Christ to come in your life so that he just fills your heart, he fills your chest, fills your body, and that God sees you as righteous because Everything Jesus did right, which was everything, has now been given to you, and it's over. You're, you're just righteous. The righteous king, righteous living king Jesus dwells inside you, and his righteousness just fills every cell of your body. Oh. So the breastplate of righteousness might be actually Jesus' righteousness itself. But I think there's maybe more to it than that. And I think that's that when the righteous king of the universe is living within you, then he wants to work his way outside of you and affect the things you say and do. So that you are living a righteous life as he is righteous. So I think the breastplate of righteousness is actually a weaving together of Jesus Christ's love for you and your love for righteous Jesus. And that forms a breastplate. Of righteousness. That, that the Christian, his whole life, everything the Christian thinks about is this. If I say this, is that righteous? Was that a righteous word? If I go there, was that a righteous decision? But was that a righteous purchase? Because I got a righteous king living in me, so I'm always thinking about his righteousness Am I promoting that righteousness to the world? That's everything for the believer. Is this righteous? Because I've got a righteous king. I want to close with a great story. I'm sure that most of you have heard at one time in your life the story of Arthur Blessed. 
If you don't know him, and these facts come from um, a 2019 article, but at age, uh, by the time he was 78 years old in 2019, he had uh, carried a 12-foot cross for 51 years of his life around the world. And uh, there he is in, in Egypt. Here's how it started. As a young pastor, he was praying to the Lord one night in Elko, Nevada on a hilltop. What do you want me to do with my life? And all of a sudden, from the hilltop, he looked at the sky and it was just filled with the nations of the world and the faces of the people of the world, all ethnicities, all colors, all, all kinds of people from all over the world. And, and God told him that night, you're going to preach my gospel in the world. Four years later, he figured out how that was going to happen. At age 27, as a pastor, God called him to make a 12-foot cross and put a wheel on the end of it and drag it around the world. And he began that Christmas Day, 1969. He left Sunset Strip in Hollywood, started heading east to New York and Washington, D.C., and as of 2019, he had walked 43,326 miles or 86 million steps with that cross on his back. He's been to every nation in the world and every major island group in the world. And I want to read you something from his website and then make a closing comment. <clears throat> Love that picture. I was to become a fool in the eyes of many and a saint in the eyes of others. I preach and share the gospel message of the cross, the holy blood of Jesus shed for our sins on the cross. Along the way, I was to kiss the lepers, touch the sick and diseased. I wept with the hurting and shared a hope with the lost and dying. However, neither the cross or Jesus ourselves were always welcomed. The curses rang out, knives at my neck, guns at my head. A firing squad with guns pointed at me, spit on my face, beaten, and so often in danger, arrested 24 times. My life became a saga of struggles and triumph, praise, and damnation. I had to reach the point where criticism and praise affect me the same. To love in the face of hate, lies, evil, and discord. To live out and put into practice as Jesus had asked us to do. I am a work in progress. Jesus has been grinding me to powder so that he can blow me where he will. I'm a saved sinner. Every day I pray and repent and say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I love the Holy Spirit showing me where I have failed and welcome God making me more like Jesus. I truly love to follow Jesus. So you want to work on your breastplate of righteousness and get it all shiny? You live like that. No, not carrying a cross around the world for 51 years, but making every single decision in life. What would I do if the world were watching me and I got a 12-foot cross on my back right now? What decision would I make? So you just make all decisions in light of the cross, all decisions in light of the righteous King who died on that cross, arose from the grave, and everything is about 
What will please my righteous King and your breastplate will really begin to shine. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.